1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Blogging Theology. Today, I am delighted to talk to Peter O'Born. You are most welcome, sir.
2: Um, well, it's a real pleasure to, to, to speak to you.
1: Just for those who don't know, Peter is an award-winning writer, journalist, and broadcaster who has worked for various newspapers, including The Spectator, The Daily Mail, and The Daily Telegraph, where he was the chief political commentator until his resignation from the paper in 2015. He now writes for the Middle East Eye. Google that, you can see it's an online journal, the Middle East Eye. He is the author of numerous books, including the Sunday Times bestseller, The Assault on Truth, published just last year. Now, his new book just published, hot off the press, is this, There we go. The fate of Abraham. Why the West is wrong about Islam. Amazing titles. Why the West is wrong about Islam. Now, I'll link to this in the description below. Um, I've read a lot of it and uh, it's actually extremely readable, not surprising from a a top journalist, but very informative as well about the history of the relations between the Western Islam and contemporary issues as well. So, Peter, would you like to explain why you felt the need to write this book?
2: Absolutely. And thank you for asking me on. I am, I, um, do you know, it's taken me nearly 20 years to research and write this book. Wow. Find ways of writing it and thinking about it. And if you, uh, you know, I, it is some people have questions why I write it. Well, I, I'm, a, I'm an Anglican Christian. Um, and I'm um, and I was uh, when I first conceived the idea of this, uh, the political correspondence of the Spectator magazine, which is a very conservative magazine. It is fashion conservatism really, um believe and I, I um I was just around the time of the Iraq War and the, its aftermath, I was so upset by the by the Iraq war and the lies that had been told by the British state. Uh, about the weapons of mass destruction and then the way in which it was reported and and then I noticed in Britain the way in which Muslims were being reported.
0: Mm.
2: And I, I, I believe in fairness, decency and actually I think the ultimate British value is sticking up for the underdog. Ah, Yes. And I watched a way in which Muslims were being uh, being reported, and I saw them coming—not really reported, it's simply attacked. The fabrication of lies, mm. um, smears, almost every day. Um, and so I, I remember I said to myself, "I'm going to actually find out the truth about these these stories about." Muslims. I mean, they're really awful things, you know, spreading disease, wanting to ban Christmas, attacking British institutions. I mean, um, so I, I remember I went up to Manchester to, in, I, I saw a story, front page of The Sun and all over the ITN News, BBC, about some Muslim who wanted to blow up Manchester United, a group of them. And I got up there, and it was and a blow at Manchester United on match day and it was it was a complete fabrication but I also managed to get to meet one of the people who the suspects um and what and the, it was clear A, that the police had leaked stuff to the sun because uh, it had details like he had the ticket for the match he was a Manchester United supporter you know he come from he was he was a refugee from Saddam Hussein's c- 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 you know, he was a Kurdish refugee from Saddam Hussein, yeah. and he and he was such a and he obviously really meant a lot to go to the ground, and it's now being twisted by the mass media in Britain to make out that he's a terrorist. And he was he did he spoke anonymously, and he was he was suffering from pretty well post traumatic stress disorder from having gone through this. So I did speak to him anonymously, and I said to him at the end, I just feel so ashamed. To be British, that you've come to this country as a refugee from Saddam Hussein, and you've been treated like this,
1: Mm -hmm.
2: and it's gone on. And this is a a, this situation, this kind of fabrication of misdeeds by Muslims, has become a perennial and structural feature of the of the British media political establishment Mm. ideal. Uh, in and you see, you know, with with other cases, the Trojan Horse fabrication, the the, the, the creation of a twisted narrative about grooming gangs. I don't say there isn't awful crimes being committed by Muslim men that have, but the way that was um, twisted into something much more, going deeper into a sort of.
0: What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat.
2: Ancient lie dating back to the Middle Ages uh, mm. about the kind of rape of white women. It was very terrible what has happened, and actually, a ghastly event in uh, Buffalo uh, uh, this week, last weekend. Yeah. I mean, yes. that you can see the reverberations of that fabrication, that mm. twisted use of what was a terrible thing which happened, but it was mis- it was way it was turned into a. Kind of attack on a community, and so I I started to keep a record of this, and then I started to work out why it was happening. And I could you can track a collaboration between the the mass media and the political class. You could show the role of think tanks mm. in creating a new discourse about about Muslims, and actually I and I and I spent. I went. I've been all, all, all around Britain. I've spent, uh, you know, talking to you know community leaders, to ordinary Muslims. Actually, to ordinary white Britons who don't like Muslims. You know, and, and and often they're very decent people. They're really decent people, but who feel that they're under threat. But they, they, it's because t- tends to be because they're fed a diet of yeah. um, nonsense, but pernicious nonsense, um, and so. And then I, I, I worked out, I, I started then to look at the more, how has this come about? And you can, I did some forensic reporting into the, the people who generate these stories and how they get generated, how politicians use them. Um, and, uh, and then I go in the, into the history of how, you know, the modern... A uh, kind of uh, rhetorical war on Islam. You can trace it all the way back to the Middle Ages, to Pope mm. Urban II at Clermont when he launched the the Crusades in the 11th century after, uh, of the Common Era, and uh, that, that, that's uh, what I. And, and you can see that there is a kind of collaboration, almost. It's too strong of a word, but a common understanding between the neoconservatives. On the one hand, in the who come out of the United States uh, and see some form of clash of civilizations between Islam and the West, and organisations like ISIS and Al Qaeda, who, who share the same narrative that Islam is a bloodthirsty religion and that there is a clash of values, and uh, and it and everybody in between is sort of cut out of this, um, cut out of the debate in many ways, and so this is a time. To, This is attempt to recover the middle ground. I think.
1: Mm. Mm. Okay, that's fascinating. I do, do, um, as I say, recommend uh, for for people to read the the full story uh, to get Peter's uh, book, which I link to below. But if if we could, um, for for, for this conversation, focus just on one part of the book, part four uh, of your book, and this is entitled "The Enemy Within," and you write about what you call the Cold War on Islam as very strong language uh, and arguably justifiable in the light of the evidences that you uh, discuss. Could you explain what you mean by this? What is this? Who is the enemy within? And what is this cold war on, on Islam? Yes. What,
2: what I show is um, this was the probably the most original part of the book because it's based on my own research, my own experience as a journalist mm. a, a conservative political journalist in Westminster, Mm. Um, in the you know in the early in the noughties, you know and and um, beyond um, after after nine eleven and the also the London bombings but uh, the, but particularly after the nine eleven attack on the twin towers you you got a uh, a the theoreticians the security experts. Um, so, what are we going to do about the, the, the threat of Islam? Uh, and they were very, this was this was the Bush administration, which was whereas well, George W. Bush hadn't got a great deal of, uh, didn't have a world view really, but the people around him were the were he, he had surrounded himself with Dick Cheney, Wolfowitz, the the the, 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 neo, the neocons. They had a very strong ideological belief yeah. that Islam presented a real and present threat to the West. Mm-hmm. And they started to ask themselves how to shape, uh, shape the narrative about Muslims and create the structures with which to deal with it. And they went back to the, uh, as an inspiration and as a model, they looked at the way in which the um, United States and its allies, above all Britain probably, had fought the uh, Soviet, the menace of Soviet Union mm. uh, in the Cold War, uh, which very swiftly developed at the end of um, uh, after 1945 and the defeat of and the defeat of fascism, mm, mm. and it was a kind of um, it was they 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 surveyed the world and they said there are we understand we how do we isolate the communists or the leftists yeah. And there was a variety uh, of mechanisms, uh, but a lot of it was secret. So they would set up secret organisations to, uh, which appeared to be open, you know, magazines or mm. civil society organisations, um, uh, but, but were really funded by the uh, CIA. Yeah. yeah. Um, in Britain, we set up something called the... Um, Information Research Department, which was a completely secret Whitehall department. It was the Attlee government, a, a socialist government, really, um, which set it up. But it was very pro-American, and, and the view was that the the threat posed by Soviet Russia, Soviet communism, was so grave that any means, really, including secret means, were totally legitimate in order to fight the Soviet threat. And actually, I, I'm not. I can certainly see that that was a perfectly reasonable argument. I mean, the, the Soviet Union did pose a terrible threat to the to the liberties of the world. It was a monstrous uh, system in many in many ways. Uh, but it did it, it did it felt that the threat was so great that he were franchised to produce loads of secret material, which manifest pretended to be what it wasn't. It pretended to be, emerge from real journalists operating. Uh, or uh, or real politicians, but actually it was approved people, sanctioned
1: and issued with material. Uh, and, and, and this is this has come out subsequently now. This is not a conspiracy theory, or there was a conspiracy, of course. Uh, but the CIA did find a vast array of intellectuals and politicians and journals. Some of them very distinguished, uh, left wing journals, but anti Soviet, anti communist, but left wing journals um, uh, uh, for for years. And this, this caused huge embarrassment to the left, particularly when uh, this was actually admitted and uncovered uh, quite openly by, um, in the States. This is no longer a secret. And, and your point, of course, is that by analogy, this is something that is now happening um, to, to Muslims uh, in terms of the Western propaganda. So they
2: said that what we've got to do now is to go back to the lessons of the Cold War, because we're, right. we're not fighting a Cold War against Soviet Russia. We're now fighting a, a Cold War against Islam. Hmm. And so, um, and you can, (laughs) I do set out in this chapter how uh, they reinvented the Information Research Department and and used many of the same sort of techniques, Um, fake organisations, government-sponsored organisations. Right. Um, Some of it's in the open. I mean, you do, can trace in quite a few organisations, government, home office funding, some of it is completely clandestine and and there's a, there's a term used for it actually astroturfing we, a civil society where we all celebrate we have a very rich civil society in Britain It's mm. something we all celebrate, but organizations which actually are not what they appear to be they're funded mm. by um, some you know some home office related group, and so you're not quite sure who you're Dealing with and the view, mm. the argument used again, I fully understand it is that there's a terrible existential threat uh, to the West from Islam or what they tend to call Islamism, and therefore, um, the state is justified, its ultimate vindication or the ultimate reason for the existence of any state is the securing the security of its citizens, and this is part of a virtuous. Uh, thing virtuous policy Hmm. Uh, i argue in this book and i really i argue in this book that yes that was a real threat from soviet communism to the way of life of the west in the case of islam not a single muslim country has ever declared war on the west or been at war um with the west and um I think that they misunderstood the nature of the threat. Yes, there is a threat from Al Qaeda, ISIS, very, uh, which must be fought by the state. I fully support that. But by, what the trouble with this analysis is that you are criminalizing or putting under surveillance and suspicion vast, large tracts of, 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 Mus- of Muslim society, large parts of the community, and that, I think, is and they, these are our fellow citizens. These are our fellow Britons, mm. and um, I don't think this policy has been um, uh, we, is it widely enough understood. I also think it's the wrong policy. I think that we should engage with our fellows. Our fellow citizens have this, exactly the same rights as we do.
1: Yeah. Okay. Can I just quote a, a passage from um, your book, um, page two hundred fifty eight, two hundred fifty nine, which. Yeah. Um, this is in the, the section part four, uh, the enemy within. And, and you're right. Uh, this is apropos what you've just said, really. An officially approved discourse about Islam was constructed within Whitehall. Whitehall is where the British government is based in, in London here. Muslims were divided between moderates and extremists, two deceptively simple and easy to understand words which have been used against Muslims to devastating effect so-called moderate voices, which amplified the government-approved message, received funding and often access to mainstream media, above all the BBC. Those who challenged the official narrative were denied such access. Front organisations were created to promote government-approved doctrines. This is back to your analogy with the the Cold War. And then you go on, and, and this is, if I may, the next part of our discussion at the heart of these political strategies was PREVENT, P-R-E-V-E-N-T, the capital P, the counter extremism program introduced by Tony Blair's government in 2003. PREVENT was given a budget of hundreds of millions of pounds, a vast treasure trove, a whole range of apparently grassroots Muslim organizations, meanwhile, were funded by PREVENT. To prevent the government, so to promote the government's narrative on terrorism, um, and you say over the years, prevent program has come to serve as a backdrop against which a cold war on British Islam has been waged. Hmm. Now, this this organization prevent is very interesting and hugely controversial, and it's flared up in the news again recently with Cameron, the former prime minister, coming out to defend. This uh, organization and its agenda against accusations of Islamophobia, and other people saying no, it is Islamophobic. It's it's surveying Muslims. It's asking them to conform to this nebulous concept of British values, which is like the rule of law, as if that was a British value. Mm-hmm. I think most societies would agree on the rule of law. Um, but anyway, it, it, it's it's specifically uh, targeting uh, Muslims and, and putting them under suspicion. And under surveillance and so on. Could you just talk more about the prevent program and, and your views on that uh, in the ongoing, uh, what you call the the Cold War on on Islam?
2: Yeah, I, I mean the prevent program now does not specifically, or that is to say, only target Muslims. It does target mm. the far right as well, mm. and uh, anybody else who it considers is on the on on some journey towards potential terrorism. The the reason I criticise the Prevent program mm.
1: um,
2: is, um, and it, and also actually you're completely right. This is a critical moment where are we're going we're having this review of Prevent, which is now delayed, but it's being being carried out by William Shawcross, um, who is who is a. <laughs> he's he's, he's a, I know him quite well. He's a former well, biographer of the Queen Mother, but perhaps more as significantly of Rupert Murdoch, the uh, owner of the Times newspaper and The Sun. Um, and he's very uh, close to the sort of Boris Johnson lot, um, which is why they gave it to him. And he, he's on record with a number of views about Islam or, and the menace it provides to the West, which I think... Give cause to people to mm. worry whether or not he is the right person because he has comes he comes into this role of reviewing prevent with baggage. Mm. I think it's one of the things which um, one of the re- I think the prevent is very poorly understood. First mm. of all, it's okay. only one part of contest, which is the broader counterterrorism strategy, and again, most of that strategy we all agree that the state has a duty to to to, to do everything it can to stop to protect our, 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 our its citizens and so absolutely the you know we need the lots of elements of the contest strategy There's one of them is is protecting public buildings and public figures make sure that you can't get at them with a bomb or a gun yeah. of course well, one of it is part of it is how to handle a crisis when it actually occurs and make sure um, it, 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 it's 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 minimised. Another one is the classic intelligence work. It's I think they call it pursue, where you go after you know you 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 are you're, you're it's, it's it's you're looking for potential terrorists, the plotters. You're you're trying to, to use the usual techniques of, of policing and, and intelligence to stop that. They're, they're, those three elements are completely right. The question with prevent is that it is not about terrorism, actually. And, and one of the problems of the language uh, used by uh, politicians, as it often suggests that it is, they, it's about something they call extremism.
1: Yes. Extremely- As contrasted with moderate, or mo- um, yes. uh, so there's a juxtaposition between good, I would argue, good and bad Muslim. A good Muslim is a moderate Muslim. A bad Muslim is an extremist Muslim. But these are very nebulous, vague terms. I, I, I don't the get general. the sense they've being very precisely defined uh, in law or linguistically or semantically in any way. And so it's kind of a very catch-all phrase. Oh, you have an illiberal opinion a non-liberal opinion, therefore you are an extremist and potentially dangerous and therefore uh, a candidate for a Prevent programme uh, interest.
2: Yes, if point. you look at the way pro- Prevent operates, it does mm. target people's religious opinions. In fact, part of the whole kind of way it's explained to people who have to work with the Prevent programme is somebody gets a bit keen gets a bit more religious that's a potential warning trigger sign
1: yeah like you mentioned the book having a beard for example <laughs> well, yeah. and you mentioned it actually under the McCarthy are you you could you're comparing it with the previous a bit a joke. i said
2: uh, that, danger signs uh, in both eras Under yeah. communism that's having a beard and <laughs> having a beard oh, oh, yeah. communism, or it's yeah. having a you, you showing you know changes in dress is what yeah. is one of the things, sudden or changes suddenly getting very keen on religion or getting agitated about political issues, i.e., um, you know Palestine is the great one at the moment. And like to me, it's completely natural that a young Muslim would get agitated and want to campaign. Uh, on behalf of the Palestinians. Uh, And to turn that into, in fact, I think that's healthy political engagement. And you and I are of an age, (laughs) Paul, we remember, I remember when I was at school, the anti-Vietnam demonstrations. I think that's part of growing up is getting involved, and if you see an injustice, you want to fight that injustice or struggle against it. And, and suddenly you're, you know, there's lots of examples of the prevent strategy being, being, being aimed at Palestine, people, uh, you know, people agitating or, or worried on behalf of Palestine. And that is seen under the. There's rather curious ideology, really. It's radicalisation theory invented by academics, very contested, the more sort of, um, the, there's a pathway called, uh, from moderation, this blessed state <laughs> of moderation to this very dangerous state of radicalisation, um, and uh, that involve, that can involve changes of behaviour, going to, you know, getting more religious, getting more grievance, grievance is a word, You're having grievances, well, a grievance. And that, of course, and it is important to state that this is not just about Muslims; it's also about the far right, but um, and other people. But I certainly, but the all the evidence suggests that an awful lot of it is aimed at Muslims. And whether it, I, 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 and in many ways, it's very hard to see how it's not an attack on free speech and opinion. You're criminalizing or Oh, apologising apologizing. is another Apologize, phrase yeah. uh, 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 opinion and and uh, these are the problems which it's faced yeah. uh, and the question and I completely accept it needs to be reviewed and the government was right to do that but put Willie Shawcross in charge of the review is he going to listen in a sensible way to the very legitimate, serious criticisms of the intellectual basis of prevent and the way it's being practised? Or is he going actually to do something else with it, which is take it to a new level?
1: Well, well, I'm going suggestion here. You should be the guy who reviews this. You should be, the government should be appointing you to do this job, <laughs> and, and not the uh, biography of the Queen Mother, I would suggest. It might be a more appropriate... Are there <laughs> a
2: good biography
1: of the Queen Mother? <laughs> oh, I'm sure it's a, a terribly uh, fascinating and laudable biography of the Queen Mother. Yeah. Um, and uh, sorry, I just want to say that there, there was a, a clip circulating on social media, which I also circulated when I heard it, uh, of an actual interview <clears throat> by a prevent police officer of a young Muslim lady, I think it was, uh, and he was interrogating her about her unacceptable views. Uh, Actually, Muslims have usually have socially conservative views on sexuality, particularly homosexuality, you know, the usual things. And and this young Muslim woman had shown, uh, unfortunately, that she uh, subscribed to the socially conservative Muslim views that people have as taught by the religion. And the police was actually um, questioning this and suggesting that this was incompatible with being British. And uh, it was uh, it was totally shocking. And so this was circulated by, um, I forget, there's an organisation that keeps an eye, an eye on Prevent.
2: Um, is it possibly called Preventing Prevent or something yeah, like that?
1: Something like, yeah. I heard
2: the same clip and it is disturbing yeah. because really what that was is an attack on religious liberty. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we live in it, and it's very unconservative, by the way. I, one of the things which uh, my beloved um, friends in the Conservative Party uh, all do. They, they're always telling us that the philosopher king of conservatism is a character called Edmund Burke, mm. a very Irishman from the 18th century who, was, yeah. who, 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 who's, who who argued passionately for religious toleration.
1: Over against the French Revolution, because he wrote the famous Reflections on the Revolution yeah, in France, and he, he was appalled by the Reign of Terror, this politically correct Reign of of conformity to a certain narrow vision of life, secularism, atheism. Very, and he was saying, "No, we 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 in England, we we have liberty of conscience, freedom of conscience." So I can see where you're you're, you're not a, a neocon uh, fan, clearly. Uh, you're you're a much more ancient pedigree, going back to uh, people like him.
2: And I think that the. The, the prevent strategy and the is a manifestation of a an analysis uh, which is something which one might call I'm not the inventor of this phrase I like it very much it's, we're not talking about conservatism anymore even though it is the policy of a conservative government right. we're talking about a kind of coercive
1: liberalism or muscular liberal because uh, Cameron oh, the former yeah. prime minister actually called it we know you a muscular uh, liberalism, in other words, to bash the, the Muslims. Who- and it's
2: almost like a new religion in a way, because it's yeah. telling you what you've got to think. Yes. Uh, and it's, secular, it's, it's imposing secularism as a kind of state religion. And it's not simply aimed, by the way, it's important to say this, uh, at Muslims. It's aimed at uh, any faith which has the audacity to the differ from the consensus of 2022, the year we happen to be living in, so Orthodox Jews are very much uh, subject to this kind of constraint, and yeah. uh, uh, and so would uh, Christians. Yeah. I think there's. a, I do notice though, I, and I'm not. It's not my. I'm not a member of the Catholic Church, but you know, the, in in, the, in Catholicism, they won't have women priests. They won't mention that. They won't go after that. they and I think, even though that is a gross dereliction of duty in the world of coercive liberalism, is not to allow women priests. to One of the great, <laughs> but they don't do that because they don't want to upset the Catholic population, and quite That's rightly so. I, I, it's up to the oh. Catholic Church, I think, not to you know to, to manage its own affairs, and that is, and it reports not to any um, any um, how should one say. Any worldly power, it reports to. Um, you know, the Pope is, is responsible to, only to to God, as, as my understanding, and I, and that it, it is it is not it is it is, it is above or beyond borders. Well, and, and so what we are seeing is a generalized attack mm, on mm. religious liberty, and this is one yeah, manifestation yeah, of it.
1: Yeah, there's an organization called Christian Concern, a UK-based evangelical group, which is actually very in my opinion, very Islamophobic, but on this point that you're, you're making, uh, they do stand up for the rights of Christians who have been arrested and prosecuted in the UK for simply holding mainstream biblical beliefs on sexuality, for example. And there, there's some terrible cases where doctors recently have been, uh, pros- uh, have been prosecuted or fired for holding views on transgender issues, uh, which don't conform to the latest woke ideology. And, and they, Christian concern, have stuck up for these people. So you're right. Uh, it, it, the people who are getting it in the neck and not just Muslims. It, it's conservative Christians or Orthodox Jews, as, as you rightly say. And even there are even conservative atheists, uh, uh, I believe, uh, around as well who, uh, have been um, criticised um, publicly as well, so this is a problem. But I think I, I get the the sense in your in your book, uh, which I do recommend, "The uh, The Fate of Abraham: Why the West is Wrong about Islam." That Muslims are the the main predominant target uh, on, every, on every level, ideological, security, military, and so on, globally, uh, for this con- concern. Um, and the Christians, although they some do suffer, most most Christians just kind of. Dare I say, are Anglicans or Methodists and so on? Don't really um, espouse these views that would trigger, prevent interest anyway. I would probably suggest.
2: I think, but yes, I think that's Mm -hmm. it is remarkably selective in in that way. Mm -hmm. And by the way, it doesn't mean that we have to accept the 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 socially conservative views of religions. It is just that there is a fascinating. Very important and unresolved tensions, tension between within the Equalities Act 2010. The Equalities Act uh, protects liberties, but including the liberty to to practice religion. Mm. And and so that creates all kinds of contradictions. Yeah. Now, I'm not, and I think we have to have more of a mature national conversation about how to deal with that. But that. Go, returning to the conversation which you show of a young woman being interrogated by a prevent officer yeah. about her religious beliefs, hmm. that is, a, it, it, it is the state intruding itself on an, in an area which is no business of the state. Right. No, I, 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 Not I, unless I, it becomes a, a law and order issue, you know, a public order issue. It might do, but it's no business of the state to tell them how they should believe in God.
1: Right. Uh, Absolutely. Now, I was going to ask you, uh, and I'm not now going to ask you about these various front organisations that have been funded by the government that are Muslim organisations set up. uh, Some of them have been exposed and you can read about them here, um, that they are known to be front organisations. No, they're not real grassroots Muslim groups um, that they have been set up by the Home Office uh, and pretending to be. Grassroots organizations, some of them have been exposed but one of them um, uh, publicly, so this is no longer denied uh I, I forget what it's called you can, you can still see it it's called woke woke is us or something it's some that you yeah. mentioned i deal
2: with I, I i can't remember the all the exact details of the yeah but what, what the big point I'm trying to do here we name we name some of the magazines the sort of structures mm-hmm. the way in which it works in this in this book is that several so one of the Treasures, one of the wonderful things, and something which is celebrated by all conservatives. I'm writing this from a conservative perspective, uh, and uh, except for neoconservatives and except for sort of market conservatives of an extreme kind, is civil society, which is independent, first of all, of the market. The market can't go near it. And secondly, of the state. The state can't, mm. can't sh- shape civil societies. To its to its own way of thinking. Mm. This is a is again is a deep rooted conservative idea, Burkean conservative. Let let people. We we really love institutions. We love the organisations, like whether it's the Salvation Army or the Women's Institute, or and the, and the state always always trying to muscle in on these organisations. Mm. We need to preserve them. And what the state is doing at the moment is creating a series of what looked to me like fake civil society organisations on the one hand, at the other hand, refusing to deal with genuine civil society organisations, but in the Muslim world, Muslim Council of Britain uh, is one of them, which it it won't tolerate because it holds views which... Uh, the state doesn't like
1: yeah on, on Palestine for example it, it doesn't hold uh, it doesn't have approved views on, on I I
2: don't know the, the, we, the, the, um, the, the, I'd like we need to and I well it doesn't really matter what the views are it's it's not the state's business the police opinion right, right. and the policing of opinion is is the problem with the uh, prevent
1: strategy. Right, yep. so we're moving uh, more towards perhaps a more American uh, model. I mean, we, we're perhaps we're now mo- moving towards in Britain towards a more American uh, a, a more American understanding of citizenship, where mm. you kind of all you you leave your religious kind of distinctness behind. You kind of pull in a common American definition of citizenship. Whereas your your, your Birkin vision is that the the, the civil society. Uh, has is given a space where people can have their religious uh identities and practices as long as they're not obviously breaking the law um but the american model seems to uh be the one that's coming in now where, where you're expected to give up these distinctiveness in in for the sake of a a common uh, american identity or british yeah, identity it's,
2: it's, i think a lot of the thinking comes from america although i th- i'd say that we maybe we're in Moving now towards the model, which was completely complete opposite of the way we historically, the British way of doing things, which is the French way. Yes. yes. So if you look, if you look at what Macron has been recently doing, mm. at the pressure from the far right in France, which is to really create um, a taxable society and closing, down, going back to, to the stage of closing down. Mm. Muslim organisations and licensing mosques and imams yes, um, and saying that you can practice Islam, but it's only in, in, in a entirely private way. Yeah. That is what is happening in France. And I think we are moving quite quickly in that direction here. I was very shocked, actually, when Macron announced a series of intolerant measures ahead of the Recent elections there, and he got praised for it by leading um, conservative, um, very very senior. Conservative.
1: in the UK, no, he did. I, I remember that. Yes, he, he did. And there's a an appalling case of an imam in the eastern part of France. I forget exactly where, uh, who um, in a kudbay in, in a Friday sermon uh, quoted from the Quran and the Hadith um, about uh, gender, men and women, um, and and it was reported to the local regional governor or whatever and he was um not only uh prohibited by the french state from preaching again he was actually deported from france back to his uh country of origin which is somewhere uh in africa i forget exactly where extraordinary and i actually looked up the passages i thought well goodness grief! well has this imam been saying And i looked up the passages which are well known i think it's surah 31 verse 30 or so, verse 31 and hadith And, okay, they're socially conservative, uh, as we mentioned, but they're not advocating advocating violence. They're not advocating any kind of egregious behaviour at all. It's simply expressing an understanding of gender and roles, which are probably shared by some of the older members of the Conservative Party in Britain, and uh, probably many evangelicals in in America. uh, uh, And and yet this guy was actually physically uh, silenced by the state and physically deported from the country, uh, and and this uh, it's, this has happened like a couple of weeks ago, you know. And and I've seen the guy uh, on on YouTube, and he conducts himself. He's an African. Conducts himself with great dignity and moderation, and is not calling for vengeance on France. He just says. I was just doing my job as an imam, preaching the word of God to to the congregation. A very measured response, dignified response. So I was impressed with that. He didn't go uh, advocate uh, any retribution. I
2: dare say that there are a number of Catholic uh, priests who say, make comparable remarks in France from the pulpit, um, which, uh, and I dare say they don't get deported.
1: No. Um, but on this point, I'm glad you mentioned Macron and France, because that was really my my last question to you. I'm conscious of the time and, and, and your valuable time, and I appreciate you being on the channel to talk about your book. But um, it is the situation in, in Europe. Uh, there is a view, and I think it's probably right, that uh, even though Macron won, Le Pen uh, scored her highest ever electoral success in terms of percentage of votes, 46% or something. It's an extraordinary figure. And she succeeded in bringing her far-right agenda into the mainstream, which Macron, to some extent, accepted and, and stood upon himself as an alleged centrist politician. But the point is this, that some people think, and I think that there's something to this, we're on a trajectory now in Europe, continental Europe anyways, This is not really a British question at the moment, where the populist nationalist right are in the ascendancy. Even in France, and there's still a chance that she may win in a subsequent presidential election, of course. And we see this in places like Belgium and uh, and, and, and obviously Hungary and others. Belgium apparently has now more far right MPs than ever before as proportion of the overall number of members of parliament. So we're seeing the argument is we're seeing this movement, momentum, this trajectory towards an increasing right wing populist, anti Muslim political movements in many countries uh but hungary poland austria france obviously belgium and others is it your sense then that we are that is the future and, and that things are looking pessimistic for muslims in europe in general they're slightly different from the uk which i think has a different kind of dynamic from what you're saying but even there i think you you might you might see a common pattern there well, what are your thoughts on that do you think
2: I do agree with this. I mean, let's also celebrate the diversity, you know, the the success of the Muslim community in Britain. There are all sorts of wonderful stories of people who've done incredible things, um, you know, and and so I don't want to be too negative, but there's no question that there is a growing narrative promoted in the popular press, and by politicians just witness the French elections or what's happening in Hungary, uh, uh, which is that immigrants generally, but perhaps especially Muslim immigrants, um, present a a demographic and a cultural uh, threat to the West. Um, You know, the great replacement theory as advocated by that um, French sort of pseudo philosopher, has its advocates in this country um, and uh, and then you look overseas and I mean mr. Johnson the British Prime Minister went to India which mm. when the terrible things are happening now mm. uh, and which quite authoritative people are saying is in a pre genocidal situation against the 200 mo- million Muslims in India uh, and yet mr. Johnson didn't mention he didn't he didn't say
1: anything, <laughs> by the way, uh, it, it was. I was astounded. He went there, shook hands, had photographs taken, said very nice things, and didn't say anything about what's going on there. I was. Uh, when the uh,
2: in two thousand and seventeen, when the I think I regarded, uh, it was it, very close to being a genocide happened to the, the, the Rohingya Muslims in in Burma or Myanmar. The um, Mr. Johnson was foreign secretary. and He actually, the, his his spokes his spokesman, he's relevant, he defended um, the Myanmar government while the raping, the burning, the shooting uh, was going on. And um, uh, so, it's there is a lack of the sensibility about the threat to uh, to, to to Muslims, not just in the West, but uh, around the world, and it's it's very serious. There have been two, you know, Shrubanitsa and uh, the events in Rakhine province five years ago. There have been two genocides in the last 25 years against Muslims. And 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 you
1: better realise that this is actually Europe we're talking about, genocides in Europe. We're thinking the last genocide was surely the Holocaust, and, of course, that was terrible, uh, but there would actually been subsequent genocides. Um, In Europe, in Shrubanitsa. Yeah, Where,
2: of course, the mayor of Srebrenica is, uh, when I last went there, was a, a genocide denies. It hadn't happened. Mm. Uh, and, um, you know, there's, it's a very unstable situation where Srebrenica is now, you know, it worked in a way. You know, you you, 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 you it was obvious that they got rid of the... The Muslim population, largely from the area, so it was now back into. It was under control by the by um, the people who committed the crimes. It's it's mm-hmm. it's very. It's not like, I mean, if you go today, great. You know, the, American, the, the the German people have fully acknowledged the terrible things they did in the in, in the You know, in the in the in the fight in the war, and you go to Auschwitz. It's properly recognised. It's taught in schools. The collective guilt is being—it's very, you know, it's, they have un, they have come to they they have admitted that, but they they are not that is not happening in, in, in Bosnia at the moment. And this is a dangerous thing because if it doesn't, if it isn't admitted, it it can happen again.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's a, a pessimistic uh, note. Um, I think we might conclude it there. Um, and I, I actually uh, do recommend uh, this book, uh, Peter aborn The Fate of Abraham, Why the West is Wrong About Islam. Just to briefly uh, go over some of the contents uh, in the contents page, because it's a very wide ranging book, historically and politically. Um, part one talks about the United States and Islam, its historical relationship with Islam. It talks about Muslim slaves. Fascinating subject because uh, many of the earliest people who went to America were actually Muslims um, with Columbus, Muslim slaves. Um, and then um, it talks about Islam and the U.S. as a global superpower, uh, the impact of 9-11 and the assault on Islam, There's a chapter on Donald Trump um on islam and then section 2 or part 2 we have britain and and islam we goes right back to Bede and uh, elizabeth the the ottomans uh, the first muslim colonies uh, and then up to date uh with this things on churchill uh and islam and churchill and india's muslims very harrowing story that and then on to france and islam in part 3 talking about France as a colonial power. Of course, it had many Muslims living within its colonies and that, that has many tragic aspects. The civil war in Nigeria being one of the most terrible stories in modern history, I think. And then part four, as we have seen, the enemy within. We're back to Britain here, the Cold War on, on Islam and the parallels with the McCarthy era when communists, alleged communists, you know, have you been or were you ever a communist? You know, uh, are you or have you ever been an Islamist? <laughs> uh, the echoes there are very, very clear. And Peter brings out the parallels, I think, between that era and this era in the demonization of dissent, if one call it that, uh, passages here on Policy exchange, we've not touched on this. There's so much we've not touched on, we can't touch on the, This program will go on for hours. But policy exchange is a neoconservative think tank and their absolutely crucial role in defining British Muslims and British Islam. And this is an ongoing um think tank. Uh, very, very important. Do look do look it up and learn about who these people are and that they're well, we'll go into that now. The Conservative Party, of British Islam is a chapter on that. The Trojan Horse Affair, we've very briefly touched on that and the false narrative about alleged Muslim grooming gangs, a uh, terrible story that's still ongoing in some ways. Um, and also at the very end, there's an interesting timeline, um, which chronicles obviously the, uh, the whole history, the relationship between the West and Islam. So very wide ranging historical political book uh, written by an eminent journalist. So um, I will link to this work in the description below. Um, it's just published literally days ago, a couple of weeks ago, I think. So three days ago. Three days ago, ago. How privileged are we are to have you on Blogging Theology to talk about it? And I'm sure you'll be on many. I hope you go on Newsnight. I hope you go on all the main channels uh, on British <laughs> Fox <laughs> News. I hope Fox News have you on because you've had, dare I mention his name in the same breath as yours, Douglas Murray. Uh, he, uh, he has been on um, uh, all over the place. I've just published his book. Um, which is not entirely unrelated to your book, and um, I don't uh, think we I, agree uh, about much. <laughs> no, I, indeed. <laughs> uh, he, he, he embodies, in many ways, uh, the kind of neocon outlook that you chronicle in your book. But um, sorry, just in conclusion, is there anything you'd like some some word you'd like to say in conclusion, Peter?
2: I just certainly. that. Thank you. I really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you very much for listening and engaging. It's real fun and um, I think very important. And so, thank you.
1: Well, thank you, uh, Peter. And I, I wish you um, continued success in your, in your writing uh, career, and particularly with this book, The Fate of Abraham, Why the West is Wrong About Islam. Thank you very much. Until next time. Thank you.
2: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it